You go to football games, baseball games, and everything else and cheer and scream, you know. We have something more important to cheer and scream about, but uh, we have to be reverent, you know, quiet. I hope you get over that, truthfully. So uh, today we're going to talk about prayer. And I don't know what kind of experiences you've had with prayer. How many of you, I doubt you can remember this, how many can remember the first prayer you ever prayed? Probably not. I mean, unless you've got an incredible memory, you know, whatever. If you're like me, I'd probably, hopefully you're not like me. But if you were like me and you grew up, you know, as a kid in church and you had prayers, probably you had memorized prayers. Uh, you probably had mealtime prayers and you had bedtime prayers. And if you're really spiritual, you had travel prayers, you know, uh, that you pray before you go on a trip, you know, on a journey somewhere. So often these were simply formula prayers, memorized prayers. You had all those kind of things in prayers. And so kind of our early stages of life when we first learned to pray is that when, when we're our kids, uh, many, many years ago when we first had our kids, we decided that we're not going to try to teach them memorized formula prayers because we wanted to have a conversation with God. And of course, what do they do? They, we get together and we just pray the same thing every time we pray. It wasn't a memorized prayer, it's the same thing. And then when our grandkids came along and we were there, you know, they... They go to a, a Christian um, daycare, and, and as they were there, uh, they, we were at meals, and what do they do? Cooper and Levi stand together, and they both pray this little sing-songy prayer, you know? Nothing wrong with that, except that's not all there is about prayer, and we're going to talk about that today. What we want to do over the next several weeks, uh, this is going to be a six-week-long series starting today. Uh, this, this week and next week, we're going to talk about the prayer that Jesus, so often we call the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the model prayer. That he prayed. We're going to talk about the intro to that prayer today, and next week actually the, the content of that prayer. And then the following week we're going to talk about um, we're talk about the two prayers that Jesus prayed in Luke chapter and uh, Luke I think it's Luke chapter eleven. I get my brain to work here today, but it's prayers that he prayed, and it actually to do with the same thing, but there was two different places he prayed. It helps us to understand why not to be discouraged in prayer. And then we're going to follow that up with what I consider and what most people consider the greatest prayer ever prayed in all of all of history. And that's in John 17. I told you when we were going through John, we were going to skip over John 17 because we're coming back to it in here. And it's the prayer that Jesus prayed in the upper room with his disciples uh, before he went to the cross. And so it's just uh, the whole chapter 17 we're going to look at in four weeks. And then the next week following out, we're going to look at something that probably most of us have heard about but don't know a lot about. And that's the, the, the value and what Jesus has to say and what the Bible has to say about prayer and fasting. Because that's a huge thing in Scripture. It's talked about time and time and time again. And, and in, in our culture today, that's not something we do a lot, but it's something we need to really understand what it's all about. And then in the, fall, the last week of the series, uh, Nate, our worship leader, is going to actually do a, a kind of a unique message that week where it's going to be about uh, worship and prayer and how songs and using songs and stuff in prayer can help us as well to focus our attention upon God and who he is. So today, though, we're going to talk about this whole thing about uh, uh, our, our early prayers and about what prayer is all about. Now, let me share, share this. If we're honest, if we're honest, and we can all be honest, right? We're in church because we can't lie in church. Doesn't mean you can't lie anywhere else, but, you know, especially in church, you can't lie. If we're honest, most of our prayers are about me, right? Your prayers are about yourself. Give me, bless me, help me, protect me. God, do this for me. If we're honest, that's what most of our prayers are about. It's all about me. Now, that being said, so often sometimes because that happens and sometimes we don't think God answers prayers, maybe some of you've quit praying because you asked God for something and he didn't answer. 
Or at least it didn't answer the way you'd like for him to answer, so you just kind of quit praying. Or you decided that God doesn't really listen, so prayer is not, it's ineffective because God didn't do what you thought God ought to do. And so you just simply say, well, you know, what, why pray? Why pray? But some of you keep praying because you just hope, you just hope that God will answer at least some of your prayers. You know, give, check off a few things off of your help me, protect me, do me list. Some of us use prayers like a good luck charm, you know, like a good luck charm. You know, God, I want to pray for the Cubs today because that they'll win, you know. Are they even playing today? I don't know. But the reality is, you know, you're shaking your head. The Cubs fan, obviously. Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and some of those people do, you know, pray for things like that. And, you know, I've had people pray for all kinds of things. But the reality is, the reality is, is sometimes we just pray about you know, all these different things like they're good luck charms. And it's not the way prayer is supposed to be. And then we do some really strange things. We do some really strange things uh, in, as Christians about prayer. Um, for instance, so often in small groups, we talk, we talk to, uh, uh, we talk to like God's not in the room. Do you know something about God? That God is one of the attributes of God is He is omnipresent. You know what that means? It's a big word. It means He's everywhere at the same time, everywhere. Okay. So when you pray in your small group and you go around the group and you're going like, okay, let's all talk about what we'd like to pray about. Guess what? God is, God already is there. And we do this weird thing in small groups, and we do it with some groups of people. We pray, talk about what we're going to pray about. Then what do we do? We do pray about it. It's kind of like your kids sitting around the dinner table talking about what they'd like to talk to you about later with you in their presence. Have you ever thought about how weird that is? Why do we do that? Because we just do it as a habit. We really don't think about the ramifications. So I guess, you know, if we talk about it and we pray about it, we're doing it twice. But you know what we're going to learn today, the last verse we talk about today? God already knows it before we say it. So, so what's prayer all about? Or we have a problem with prayer because we think that you know, God answers prayers and he has strange priorities. I mean, you've been praying about somebody who's going through something really like they lost a job, and you've been praying about that, and it doesn't, God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers in regard to that. And then you hear somebody come to you and say, hey, I was over at Walmart, and it was just packed out, and it was pouring rain, and, you know, man, and, and I was just praying to God to give me a park, parking spot close to the door. Guess what happened? Really? You know, I'm going, I'm going, oh, God, you know, if that's the way prayer works. You know, God, can't you take a little energy away from the Walmart parking lot prayer and put it toward the, parking, the prayer for the person who's lost a job? Isn't that a little more important? So we look at that and we're going like, I just don't get prayer. And the big thing I've heard over the years as well as this, is some people say things like, the reason we don't get our prayers answered is because we don't have enough faith. You ever heard that? Ever thought that? Well, Jesus messes all up thinking up by saying this. You know, it's not how big your faith is. He says all we need is a little faith. He calls it the size of a mustard seed. Because it's not about, see, when we think we have to have big faith, it's about how hard we try. How hard we do things. But it's about having a little bit of trust in God and realizing it's a big God. So how do we get there? I remember years ago, I remember years ago when I was living, still living in Virginia, that was 
13, almost 13 years ago, but even way before that, probably five years before that, probably closer to 20 years ago, I was at a Christian concert. I love music, and I went to a Christian concert. And, and, and Christian musicians sometimes need to just play music and not talk. Because some of them are good theologians, and some of them are horrible theologians. And this was a nationally known group, and if I told you who they were, you know, as though you know music would know who they are. They're not nationally known right now but they used to be huge and and I went to the concert and we was in this venue there where there's all these people there and sitting over to the side over here was a lady in a wheelchair and this guy the guy that was the lead singer for this group and he gets up and he says you know God tells a story about how God has blessed him and stuff and he said the reason God has blessed me because I have big faith and he said if you have big faith God can do anything and I looked over, and the lady in the wheelchair had her head down, tears in her eyes, and she was going like, I know what she was thinking. If I have enough faith, man, I can just get up out of the wheelchair and walk. Because it's all about me and how big my faith is. And I wanted to scream, and I want to go up and strangle that guy on the stage because I'm going like, that's poor theology because that's not what the Scripture teaches. And I think you'll understand that if you'll hang with us through this whole series that the Bible is about, not, it's not about, it's about having a little faith in God and trusting in a big God. That God wants to do it, and God doesn't always answer every prayer the way that we want it to be answered. So let me say this. That was all preface to what we're going to talk about today, okay? That was just not even part of the message. That was just preface. What if, what if the point of prayer has very little or nothing to do with getting God to do stuff for us? Let me say that again. What if the point of prayer has very little or nothing to do with God getting, getting God to do stuff for us? What if the main point of prayer is not about our needs, our wishes, our wants? It, it can be a small point of prayer, part of prayer, but that is, what if prayer is something about something bigger? About something, and if we understood it, it would change the way we relate to God and the way that we pray. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that begins to talk about that. So if you have your Bible today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In whatever format you have the Bible in. Matthew chapter 6. And um, I believe the Scripture is in your bulletin outline as well. uh, On the back of your bulletin as well. Um, Let me give you a little background about this. Jesus is talking here to his disciples. And And it's interesting because... The, you need to know something about the disciples. The disciples grew up in a Jewish culture, and they knew, they knew all about prayer. They had all kind of memorized prayers in their culture. They prayed. They probably they, they didn't grow up as prayerless people. But something about that was different about Jesus because these are guys that had hung out with Jesus for a period of time, probably a couple of years at least when this was written. And they noticed something about Jesus in prayer. They noticed that Jesus prayed so much, and he prayed so differently than they did that they wanted to to understand uh, from Jesus how important it was and what he did differently. And so they asked him to do something. They said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? They didn't ask him to teach them how to do miracles. They didn't ask him to teach him how to do anything else except teach us how to pray. They understood the value of what he was doing because he was such an important part of his life. And, you know, so often we're going like, well, how often have you ever asked anybody to teach you how to pray? In prayer, just talking to God? Well, that's the method, but it's not the purpose. So I want to, to the best of my ability, explain what the Scripture says to us today and for the next several weeks as we look at these passages where Jesus explains and prays um, in Scripture. 
So the setting for this, this passage in Luke, Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse, beginning with verse 5 today, is Jesus has come to his disciples, they've asked him to pray, and Jesus says to them, even though you guys have been praying all your life, probably, you've been doing it wrong. He doesn't say it that straightforwardly, but basically that's what he says. You know, wouldn't that, and it kind of offensive, but they're looking at, well, this is the son of God, right? This is, you know, not just anybody teaching us this. So we're going to listen. So this is what Jesus says. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. Of all the things that Jesus could start off with, what does he start off with about prayer? He talks about location. Location. Can't you just pray anywhere? Sure, you can pray driving down 116 on your way to work with your cell phone and your latte. And you can, you know, you can do that. You can pray that way, right? You can pray on your way back from a date saying, young folks, saying, I hope my parents aren't up. I hope my parents aren't up. I hope my parents aren't up. You can pray, you know, just anywhere you want to. Yeah, you can. But what Jesus is talking about here is effective prayer, the purpose of prayer. Because if we think that prayer is just about giving God our to-do list, our want list, our bless me list, you can do that pretty much anywhere, right? But that's not what the purpose of prayer is, Jesus will say. So the first thing he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. Then he says this, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. He's going what? He's saying like, yeah, hey, all they're going to ever get from doing that, if you want to pray and you want to make, you know, do it, make a public scene of it and pray these eloquent prayers and all it is, he said, people will recognize you. Guess what? You got your reward. You're recognized. But that's it. That's all you'll get. And then in verse 6, he begins to talk about what we should be doing. He says, but when you pray, talking to his disciples and talking to us, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. But Pastor Bill, I don't have time to do that. I can always pray, you know, I got 20 minutes to work, and I got, you know, five minutes here, and I can jump my prayers in the, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you can do that if you want to, if you don't want to follow what Jesus says. And so what he says, he says, when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. The point is this. When you pray, what Jesus is saying is this. I want you to get by yourself and I want you to have focus on God. And you can't do that driving down 116. You can't do that, you know, on your way home from somewhere. You can't do that unless you get alone somewhere. And he uses the illustration of shutting the door behind him and going into a room and praying in private. You can't do that and focus on God if you've got other distractions. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like marriage communication. I mean, how many of you, how many of you, you know, try to have a good marriage and communicate well, and you never sit down with your spouse face-to-face and really communicate? The other day it happened in our house. It happens every once in a while. Usually my wife instigates it. She's here right now, so I'm telling you this. But the other day, we were going to talk about our trip that we're going to take in the 1st of June for a couple of weeks to go visit family, right? our journey of uh, 2,000 miles. 
from here to Knoxville, Tennessee, to run it, Virginia, to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and back here. So you just figure that out. So anyway, we'll be doing that over two weeks. Looking forward to that so much. Not. Uh, the travel part, okay? But we said, so, we, so we were sitting there, and Vicki texted me earlier today, said, we need to talk about this. And so I said, you'd like to talk about this? We had a TV on, stuff going on. And she looks at me and says, we need to turn off TV. And you know what my response was? Yes, honey. Yes, ma'am. So we turned off the TV, and we looked at each other, and we began to talk. We began to communicate. No distractions. Our iPads were laying over on the side. We didn't touch those. We didn't have our cell phones. We just left them on the side. We just did that. We looked at each other and communicated with each other for a while. We've learned it over the years that real communication does not happen on the fly. That's one of the keys to us being married happily for 35 years is that we spend time focusing our attention, not every moment of every day, but times, periods of times, focusing our attention without distractions. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, when you pray, you need to go focus your attention upon God. Nothing else. Don't have any other distractions. If you want to have a good marriage, focus your attention from time to time. Take islands of time to focus your attention on your spouse and communicate with no other distractions. Jesus said, if you want to have a great relationship with me, with God, you did the same thing. I don't know how do you learn this, but let me truthfully, I had to learn it the hard way. I came to a point in my life, and I've shared this before many, many years ago, before I came here to Illinois. I, came, I, I was in Virginia. We'd been in the ministry there uh, for 20-plus years in two different churches, and I was kind of going like, God, where do you want me to go next? And I was kind of frustrated with ministry, and truthfully, and, and so I said, you know, I, I'm a, I started by praying more and being quiet more, and it wasn't enough. And so during that time, what I did is I did something that I'd never done in my whole life. And, and uh, I saw this, this advertisement and through an through a, uh, uh, email or something that came through that Virginia Baptist, which I was a part of at the time, was uh, having this retreat for pastors. It's called a gathering of silence. And I'm going, a gathering of silence? It sounds like a bunch of monks. And so what we did is it ended up being this. It was a thing where we went into the mountains of... Uh, Pop up the picture. Next, next slide. There we go. This is all off, the, off of the um, Appalachian Trail, about, a mile, about an hour from where I used to live. This is actually a friend of mine that was up there. And so what we did is that we had this thing for three days where we went there, and, and this was a bunch of pastors, like 20-some pastors, and we stayed in these lodges at the base of these mountains. You can't see way down in the valley. It took about an hour and a half to hike up to this place from where we were. And our deal was this, what we were to do is we were going to go and we, were to, we made a vow of each other. We would not talk, not one word, between breakfast and dinner. You don't know how hard it is for 20 some pastors. That was tough. But we also decided we weren't going to hang out together either because it makes it even tougher. So we all got gathered, and this was in the mountains, and we hiked up, and I hiked up every day up to a place, and I found a rock formation like this and set up there that day. Guess, no cell phone service, no computers, no music, no nothing, except a Bible and nature and God. And let me tell you, the first day I was up there, I went nuts. My mind was jumbled with junk, and I could not calm down. It took me two days to calm down enough to where I could actually just be calm and be with God. Finally, it happened, and I found it such a refreshing thing for me that I went, that was in the spring, 
And then I went back that next fall for another one, and then went back the next spring for another one. I spent nine days that year, about a year's time, up in the mountains being quiet with God, saying nothing to no one else. But let me tell you what it did for me personally. It made me aware of God's presence. It built my relationship with God like nothing else could ever happen. It's like going away with my wife for three days on a retreat where nobody else is around. You're going like, that would be. Don't say awful. Say, you know, good. That would be great. (laughs) So that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, when you pray, go by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. That's what he's saying to us. He says, connection to God comes through uh, when you go and get along. It doesn't have to be in a room, but it has to be somewhere where you have no distractions. You understand that? That's the big deal. You don't have to go up and gather in a mountain, but you got to do this. And I ask myself constantly, why don't I do this on a regular basis, you know? Just get away for a couple hours during a day somewhere sometime. And sometimes I used to do this when I first came here. I'd go up and sit up on, uh, up on Grandview Drive, up on one of those benches, and sit up there with my Bible and nobody else around. During the middle of the day, nobody's up there in the middle of the day, I'll let you know. And, uh, and sit there. It was, a, it was a great time of connecting with nothing else but God. No distractions. Turn off your cell phone. Everything else. See, Jesus is talking about something beyond help me, help me, bless me, bless me. Prayer is not about that. It's a small portion of that, but it's not about that. Because then he says this next. He says, after he says this whole thing about, uh, this, this whole thing about when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. He says this, then your father who sees everything will reward you. And you're going like, well, that's what I'm talking about. You know, if the whole deal is why I'm not getting my prayers answered by God, is i got to get alone in the room when, when church is over, man. I want to run home, get in a room, and give God my list. No! No! The thing is, he says he rewards you, but God is the perfect Father. That means he doesn't give you what you don't need. He gives you only what you need, not what you want. I mean, how many times in life have you glad later on that God did not answer your prayers? I am so thankful that when I was 16 years old, and, 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 and my idea of my first car, man, I, I saw this. A guy in town, I wasn't a friend, I wish he was a friend. A guy in town where I used to live had a Shelby, Mustang Shelby GT. It was like, a, like back then it was like a $50,000 car back then. This was like 100 years ago. You know, and... And I'm going like, and I prayed a lot, God, please let me have one of those. I mean, I prayed a lot. And guess what God did? He didn't say yes, he didn't say no, he didn't say later. He didn't say anything. Because he's the perfect father. He knew if I got that car, I would have killed myself. Because if you know anything about it, it's, it's a muscle car to the max. So God is the perfect father. He's not going to give you what you and you're going like, well, what, what, is it, what will he reward you with? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Hold on, okay? What is the reward he'll give you if you get along with him and you, and you do this? It's not what you think. The reward is getting what you need. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 7. He says, when you pray then, I love this part, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it's not about the quality or quantity of your words. God is not moved by the words or length of your prayers. 
So often we think, many people don't pray, especially if you grew up in traditions where you have to think you have to pray in King James English or something, you know? Oh, thou most loving, gracious, and holy Father. You've heard this kind of prayers. You're going like, I can't pray like that. I don't talk like that. I don't talk like that either. Do you? No. And so it's not about the words he says. I remember years and years ago, I was so impressed. Years when I was a teenager, when I was about 17, 18 years old, I was so impressed with this pastor we had of the church because of his prayers. He was this really flamboyant pastor. He was kind of like an evangelist-type guy. And when he prayed, man, he, was, he prayed these long, flowery prayers. And, and everybody was like, oh, man, that's awesome. The problem was is that that's all he did. And, and come to find out a couple of years ago, the guy had done everything wrong. He did everything wrong. And he basically split our church. And I, I almost left church, period, during that period of time in my life, from 18 to 20 it was only because this red-haired girl came, came with a new pastor that I even got back in church. But uh, tell my wife now. But anyway, anyway, the thing is, is that that happened. But then I also think about people in life who prayed and the prayers that later on, after I experienced that and said, no, that's not really important, these flowery prayers. I thought about, I always think about two guys in my mind that prayed prayers. And the way they prayed them, it was like, you know, teach me how to pray like you pray. One of them was a guy that was a deacon in our church. He was a guy who, was, who worked for, uh, uh, who, who was a, uh, worked for the uh, health department for the city of Roanoke, Virginia. And, and he went around and, 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 and inspected uh, restaurants. I always ask him, which restaurant should I eat at and which should I not eat at? And he could tell me. And uh, it was hilarious because he prayed. And the guy, his name was David Taylor. And David was so incredible. I mean, he prayed. He was the most humble and the most, it was simple words, and it just, when he prayed, it was like, wow, I wish I could pray like that. I never heard him pray and ask for anything for himself. I've never, he just kind of like lift, he just kind of always pointed toward God. And then another friend of mine who, who was a, in Virginia as well, who was a, he was a chief pharmacist of a major hospital there. And later on, he moved, and he, now he teaches uh, pharmacy at Ohio State University, um, Sonny Edwards. And Sonny was in our small group, my wife and I small group, he and his wife. And oh my gosh, man, when Sonny would pray, it would just, it would just people would, he would just, he would feel like the presence of God was in the room, not in a flamboyant way, but in a, a humble way. Sonny was such a humble guy. He still is. And I was so amazed, and so when I think about prayer, it wasn't about the flowery words, it wasn't about repeating phrases, it wasn't about any of those things. What Jesus is saying is, don't pray like that, because God doesn't, not, God's not impressed. He knows what's in your heart. He's not moved by your words or the length of your prayers. And then Jesus gives us kind of like, he concludes this portion here with kind of a punchline, which is really the most significant thing he says. So if you're going to put anything on a refrigerator today, put this last verse, verse 8. He says, after he says, you know, don't pray flowery prayers, don't do all these different things, he says this, don't be like them. Remember, he's teaching his disciples to pray. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And you're going like, so why pray? So why pray? I mean, if prayer is a checklist of getting God to do stuff for us, and he already knows what we need, why pray? If you've asked that question, you're on the verge of a breakthrough in understanding what prayer is really all about.
See that while you can still spend some, time, some of your time pouring out your needs to God, there is something more, something more important that God wants you to understand. The most important, and I heard this many years ago when I went to a conference and Charles Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, uh, 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 spoke. And I wrote this down and I still had it in my journal from years and years ago. And he said this, he said, the most important thing in your life is not your job, it's not your family, it's not your finances, it's not your schedule, it's not even your health. And he listed everything else in the world he could think of that's important to us. He said this, this is the thing, he said, the most important thing in the world is your personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because everything else flows from that one thing. Everything else flows from that one thing. He said, that's it, Jesus is saying. The reason we have been given the opportunity and the gift of prayer is not to convince God of giving us stuff. It's not a good luck charm. It's not about bless me. That is not the main thing. That is, that's only a small portion of it. Jesus says to do that, do that if you want to, but I already know that stuff. I already know what you need. Before you think, he knows what our thoughts are. He said, let's move on to the next thing, the more important thing. He says this, the purpose is that God has invited you and me into a relationship that is characterized by intimacy and connection. And that can only happen, that can only happen when you and I get into our room and get along with God. Because the most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so you know what your reward is? told you I'll tell you what your reward is a couple of verses earlier your reward is not just getting stuff your reward is an inner sense of peace that God is with you no matter what's going on in your life when he says yes when he says no when he says nothing that God is with us and it only happens when we build a relationship with God where, where we know him intimately intimately that's the purpose of prayer. See, all of us have sat in church, if you've been in church very much, and you've probably felt guilty about things from time to time, right? I have people go out the door and they'll say, Pastor, you must be reading my email or looking in the window or something. And I'm going like, no, I don't do that kind of stuff. And it's just God's word convicts us of stuff in our life. That's true, just the way it is. And if we're looking at God's word, which we do every week, you know, I don't know what else we would do if we didn't look at God's Word and, and learn God's Word and teach God's Word. It's, it's about God's Word and about a relationship with God. You know, some of us feel guilty about things, and we feel like we ought to really do them. But then we go, home, go to lunch and we get over it. We feel, and, and the reason that feels good sometimes is because we feel religious when we feel guilty for some strange reason. It's kind of a normal, natural part of our lives. And... For many people, that's the entire religious experience they have. God, guilt, and then get on with life. It's kind of the process and flow. See, the, there's all the difference in the world, though, between feeling guilty for something and accountable to someone. And through prayer, God has given us the opportunity to move into a relationship with him of accountability. It's the kind of accountability which communicates, I have a plan for your life, I have a purpose for your life, a will for your marriage, and I want you to discover it. And so God says, I want you to be accountable to me because I love you, and, that, and I want you to have a relationship with me that's personal and intimate. And that will not happen, will not happen in the rushed routine of the day. 
It will only happen in a moment of time when we get along with God, focus our attention upon Him, and learn to trust Him in that way. You know, you could, admit, you could spend your whole life in church and still not have a relationship with God. Because it's not just about showing up here on Sunday mornings, listening to me or somebody else speak, going home, and the rest of the week having nothing to do with God. How many of you would have a really good marriage if you just told your spouse, hey, I, you know, I'm going to spend one hour with you a week, but it's going to be a quality hour. The rest of the week, I'm going to ignore you. But man, I'm going to have that one quality hour, maybe two, maybe two, okay? We'll get together with some friends, and we'll talk about our marriage. It's called small group. And, and we'll do that, you know? But the rest of the week, I'm going to ignore you. Do you think your marriage would last very long? Do you think it would thrive? I think you're smart enough to know the answer to that one. Why do we think that we can just show up at church on Sunday morning, listen to somebody speak, learn a little bit about God, and then go home and not apply it to our life or do anything and not have a relationship with the person that's the creator of the universe? That's why I get so frustrated with prayer because we, we misunderstand what the purpose of prayer is. It's getting along with God and learning to trust Him. Could it be that we've missed the entire, the main purpose of prayer? And then Jesus ends this little section of, of Scripture in verse 9 by saying, the first part of verse 9, He says, This then is how you should pray. I mean, they ask him to teach them how to pray, and Jesus takes you know, several verses just to say this whole thing and tell them, hey, guys, before you, we talked about the, the content of prayer, let's talk about the purpose of prayer. So next week, we're going to talk about the content of prayer. But you first got to understand, it's about building a relationship with God in an intimate way. And then he tells, you how, tells us how to do that. So next week, show up, and we'll talk about the rest of chapter 6 after verse 9 when he actually gives us what we call the model prayer. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your incredible love. I thank you, God, for the fact that you love us so much that you're not satisfied to have just an hour of our time on Sunday or whatever day we go to church or an hour of our time in a small group, that you want us to have an intimate and personal relationship with you that takes priority over everything else. That means, God, that, that prayer is really about Getting alone with you somewhere, God, it can be in a room, it can be somewhere out in nature, it can be somewhere, it can be anywhere where we're not distracted by all the other stuff of life. So that we could, could, could get to know you, God, to trust you more, and to love you, God, the way that you love us. We'll never reach that summit, but that's the goal. And God, I'm so thankful that you're a loving Father who rewards us, but you reward us, God, with a peace 
that passes all understanding that in the midst of the trials and the ups and downs of life as we live in a broken world that God you just you just give us that peace that has nothing to do with our circumstances and that's the greatest gift you could ever give us God because you told us in this world we will have trouble not because you planned it that way God but because of sin not only our own sin, but other people's as well. When we rebel against you, God, it, it causes things not to work the way you want them to work, God. But you give us the freedom to make choices, and we're so thankful for that, God, that you don't force your love upon us. But you love us enough to try to want us to be drawn to you, God. So enable us this morning, God, as we close from this place, as we sing a song of worship and praise and go from this place, that we would just, in a real sense, make a commitment, each one of us, that this is not going to be the only time this week that we encounter you. That we'll spend some time with you, God, away from all the other stuff of life, whether it be in a room in our house, away from everything, somewhere that really helps us to, like me, it really, nature really helps me to get away and sometimes just walk somewhere where there's nothing else going on is really a place where I can encounter you, God. But we'd make that commitment, God, to be alone with you so we could learn to trust you more. God, we're waiting here for you right now to speak in our lives. We wait to hear your voice through your word, through people that we encounter along the way, God, through your Holy Spirit working in our lives as well, God. This, just guide us now, God, and help us, help us, help us over the next few weeks to get a better grasp of what prayer is, not only an understanding, but a, a commitment to the type of prayer that you want us to have. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.